JR, can you come up? This morning we continue with our church series. Uh, we're going to hear from JR this morning, our band director extraordinaire. He's a good friend of mine. I'm going to pray for him and he's going to read the word for us this morning and preach power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for JR. Thank you for the wonderful privilege we have from hearing from your word through JR. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint him, Holy Spirit, that you'd be present, that you'd fill us all, and that these words would speak life to us, and that they will bring multiplication in all that we do, that we would go and repeat them out there in the world and bring more followers to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh. There we go. Thank you, Marco. All right, you took my prayer from me, so um, I'll skip that part. <laughs> I, hi, church. Hi, um, I wanted to say up front, just since I don't normally get to address you guys like this, how grateful I am for all of you, how grateful I am to be a part of Hope Rock Church. And uh, it's been pretty cool. I, I think about uh, this time a year ago, I was at a place where I was, um, you know, after being uh, involved in worship ministry for 18 years, I, you know, non-consciously developed this kind of like wish list of things I'd love to find in a church. And I thought, well, certainly I'm not going to find all that in one church, especially not one in my neighborhood. And uh, God was so good to uh, introduce me to Marco about a year ago this week. And uh, I just, I fell in love with the church right away and um, just happy to be here with my family as a part of all of you guys. And uh, yeah, so thanks. Um, so, we love you, thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> on that note, I, I, I actually was thinking about this right before I got up here in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, when Paul says, uh, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. It's remarkably awkward without a guitar, but hey. Okay, so worship is this funny thing, right? When I, I grew up in church, and I got this picture for you to be able to laugh at me. Oh. This is me in my church clothes. Um, so I, I understood worship was the time in church when we sing. That, does, how many of you does that kind of sum it up for? I'm just curious, honestly. Holy cow. You guys are so much better than I was for a long time. No, because really, that's, that was kind of what I, was the gist of it. And I always thought that was a little weird, which I thought was a little bit ironic, especially when I fell in love with music and that had this big connection and, you know, God made me a musician. But then I didn't really understand, uh, how does this work in church? Uh, I don't know. So, and I don't know if that was so much... Uh, just my inability to understand, or if it was actually also having to do with just the complex nature of it. So funny enough, like if you try to do a word study in Bible and about worship so that we can do our little Bible study and then come up with a nice clear definition so that we can understand it and move on to the next topic, we run into problems right away because we have this word worship that we use all over the place in our English translations but there's not a one-to-one -one worship in either the Hebrew or the Greek. Um, my little Logos app, I've got this little thing that just shows you, uh, wait, oh, where we go? Yeah, so there's one of the Greek words, there's one of the Hebrew words, and this just shows all the different ways that those words are translated. Uh, so 
it doesn't really, it's not quite so simple to figure out what it means. So we have to use context and we have to figure out not just context of the, the, the passage of scripture, but the historical context in which that book was written and it's, it gets complicated really fast. So thank you so much, Marco, for asking me to try to unpack this. Because as I was trying to prepare for this, at first I'm like, man, I think about this stuff all the time. No problem. But then I start kind of reviewing my stuff that has influenced me, and then I just take for granted how deep it goes. It just goes deeper and deeper. And so it's a very humbling thing uh, that uh, makes me think of this idea of, I mean, just much with scripture as well. The more we read through uh, the canon of scripture, like doing the Bible in a year plan, and you do it the next year, and the next year, you would think at some point that it might kind of, okay, you get it, but this profound thing happens, quite the opposite, where the more you study, the more you are drawn in and humbled by how little you know and how small you are compared to the amazing, infinite glory of God. Amen. It's a little bit like jazz. <laughs> the, the best jazz musicians are the ones who have this uh, humility before their craft. Like, you think, man, this guy can play anything. If you imagine it, they can play it. But for them, there's just like, there's still just so much more. Wow. It's like the more that they learn about the theory and all of the things that you can do, the more possibilities that there are. And it just, it's, a, it's a real similar thing. So there is kind of a funny correlation between um, worship in that, that way of us kind of communing with God and music. So it's not really surprising that it is commonly considered like, you know, the time in church when we sing. Mm, but it is, in fact, uh, so much more than that. Um, oh, yes. The, the issue that we would have if we were leaving it just at music, of course, is because, uh, you know, music is obviously the one thing that everybody agrees on in life anyway, right? No, no. That, see, that would be a terrible idea if it all just hinged on music. Uh, and so, uh, like in Amos, we see this, where God says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Wow. So the music was God's idea. It was part of what he prescribed and when he appointed the Levites in the, his worship in the temple, right? So they're doing what he told them to do, but here he is saying like, no, this is junk. Because, yeah. And so why is that? Because it's not just about doing the thing. Good. Right? And in Isaiah, we see the similar kind of thing where God says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man made rules, learning by rote. So God has this issue with us coming and just kind of phoning it in because He doesn't want just the thing, He wants our hearts. Amen. And it's not, just be, it's not because he needs it, right? So God, our triune God, as we see throughout Scripture, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
is himself a perfect community, right? So the ideals that we strive for and get little glimpses of in community, the, the, the goodness of being with someone with whom we feel a connection and, and kind of a commonality, right? God within himself experiences this perfectly eternally. And so, you know, if, if anyone who says that, oh, God created the universe because he was lonely, that no, doesn't even make sense. Yeah. God doesn't need any, anything. He never has. He lacks nothing. It's kind of crazy that he d even decided to do this whole thing in the first place. But it's all for our benefit, and we get to partake in the enjoyment of how great he is. Amen. Amen. So, obviously, God's not suggesting that we throw out the musicians, since it was kind of his idea in the first place. So, uh, you know, and scripture's clear throughout it. Uh, like, in Ephesians, New Testament, being pretty clear, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Uh, and then I think of one of my old favorite Old Testament stories where Israel is going to battle, and God gives them this idea. It's like, oh, wait, wait, instead of sending the army out, Send the band out in front of the army, which I'm sure all the musicians were kind of like, whoa, what? Uh, and God's like, trust me, send out the band. So they go out in front of the army and they're, they're like, just worship the Lord and watch what I do. And he completely uh, wins this whole battle. Israel doesn't even have to draw a sword or anything, right? And it's all just through their uh, worshiping him through music, okay? So clearly God's got a thing here, but we, like with so many things, we find ways of kind of messing it up. So trying to dig a little bit deeper and understand what, what are we talking about here? What's going on? Um, there are three books that were kind of the biggest influences in all the things that I've read uh, as far as my understanding of worship as it pertains specifically to, to are gathering, right? Yeah. But as we'll see, it pertains to uh, everything beyond that. Um, so the first book that really grabbed me was Desiring God by John Piper. And uh, his, this is kind of his little simple definition. He says, worship is a way of gladly reflect, reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. Simple, beautiful, that's the thing. But just to show how many different ways you can consider it, like here's uh, D.A. Carson. He actually writes like this really long paragraph. I think he was trying to maybe compete with the Apostle Paul. And was it the first uh, chapter of Ephesians is all one par paragraph in the Greek? Um, but so I just took the first sentence of his paragraph that worship is the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. Amen. Um, and then uh, my favorite guy, who's not as well-known as the other two, Harold Best, uh, wrote this book called Unceasing Worship. And he phrases his a little bit differently. I'll get to why. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. Note the little g. That's on purpose. The idea behind this, um, that whole triune God, right? He's, it, there's this continuous eternal outpouring of 
of love and fellowship within the Godhead of the Trinity, right? When we talk about being created in the image of God, imago Dei, there are different ways uh, in which I think we see that expressed, but at the core is a bit of this, right? Uh, we're like God uniquely among all of creation in this, we were built for this. And in fact, we're not creatures who choose to worship, we are creatures who worship. And it's just what we do, it doesn't matter what we believe, but rather what we believe shapes our worship. And this is where things get really interesting and really tricky for everybody. Um, so, let's see. I don't like using notes. I'm a total scatterbrain, so forgive me as I kind of jump back and forth because I'm like, I got a nice flow here, but then I don't want to, I don't want to get totally distracted. But you know, hey, ADD for the win. <laughs> uh, all right, okay, so making sense of, of the things that God designs for us. As much as I love quoting these great authors, you know, we need to do what they did and go to scripture to get our info, right? So the way that, uh, the way that we form any ideas and understanding of things from scripture, there's kind of two main ways of doing it, systematically and biblically, not to go too deep in the woods, but biblically where you just study, like take this, book from the Old Testament or this letter from the New Testament and you just try to unpack it from those things like the context within itself and the context from when it was written historically, right? And then systematically is slightly different where you take, okay, let's take this, but let's understand this through the framework of the entire canon of scripture, right? So we'll use every, every book. We don't leave a single thing out. All of it goes together to inform how we interpret this. It's not that one way is better than the other, they're actually both really valuable and important, I think, to go together. And that's how, I mean, that's really how we come to uh, conclusions such as how we understand the Trinity, right? There's not like a clear explanation of, of Trinity within Old or New Testament, right? But we see it and we make sense of it and the, where we end up with our theology is very tight. And, uh, and backed by what scripture shows consistently. So we have this, this recurring consistencies within scripture. Let's look at uh, Romans 12, right? So here's a pretty straightforward place of uh, scripture telling us about worship. Therefore, which as Mark likes to ask, what's the therefore therefore? <laughs> and in this therefore, Paul is actually referring not to just the previous sentence, but like, Romans 1.18 through 11, wherever it ends off right there. Yeah, like the whole thing, right? Other than everything after the greeting, this whole thing that he said for all these chapters. He's like, so therefore, in light of this, which you could sum up as the mercies of God, right, is kind of what he's unpacking there. Because of the mercies of God, I urge you, brothers and sisters, oh, here we go, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Amen. So it's like, oh, plain and simple. I get it. Oh, 
except I don't really get it, because what does that even mean? <laughs> so uh, the living sacrifice part, because it, it almost seems like an oxymoron because we, you know, we think of Old Testament sacrifice, it's like the, the slain lamb, or you, know, you present the animal offering, or you're, you're sacrificing something of, of your fields or you know, something, of, something that you have that you put on the altar, yeah. right? And, but so this idea of living sacrifices, how does, it, how does it go on? And it happens through our identification with the sacrifice of Jesus, which is once for all, yeah, right? And just as we recognize like in our baptism, we're, we're acknowledging and uh, symbolically uh, uh, buying into that, yeah. uh, recognizing our death and burial with Jesus and the resurrection to new life through Jesus. Amen. And so that is a symbol of, of, this, of this living sacrifice, this thing that's ongoing. And so now we come to trying to figure out, well, okay, so how, do, how does this play out? Um, let's uh, jump ahead to the Romans 12, 2, which is a, a, couple, a couple of these. Because uh, this is where he tells us how exactly this works. Do not conform, right? This is just the next verse, right? We go right into it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect, pleasing and perfect will. So how do we do the living sacrifice thing? How do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice? You do it by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we're born into this, this human sin condition, right? Going back to the garden, but his, our guilt is shared among all of us, right? It's, it's all of ours, but it's also each of ours. And here, this is, this is, the, this is the gospel, and this is the, the whole... Uh, the, the center of worship for us in a practical sense, yeah, right, yeah. Is, is how we're able to be here because of what God has done. But, uh, so, now going back to the whole issue of how, how that played out, um, or how it plays out. So, primarily, I, the way I, I see it is idolatry, which Romans 1, now we can go back to this, verse 25, so what happens is we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. So God created us these continually worship being, worshiping beings. I don't know if it's helpful. I think of this idea of like a fire hose, right? Like when it's hooked up to the hydrant and it just, it, you, you don't like it just going, right? You don't shut it off. I think they probably have a little valve on the hose, but you know, anyway, let's say we don't have a, we don't have a valve, right? That would be, I guess, God having us, as long as we're alive, then it, the water's just gushing. And I think most of us tend to just like, let it fly around and whatever is kind of, whatever seems to be the most important thing at the time is the thing that captures our attention and our affections, you know, and our, our time and our talent and our treasure usually goes to the things that matter most to us. So you can think of it as, 
If you want to know what you're worshiping, where do those three things go? Good. I really hate saying that because it fills me with shame because my time, my talent, and my treasure tended to go towards all kinds of stuff. And I know I'm not alone in it. And I don't want to run the risk of, you know, overshaming. I don't want to run the risk of making it seem all it's not a big deal either, right? It's a huge deal. It's, it's exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Amen. But praise to God that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Good. Moment by moment, right? Good. Once for all. And it's, it's really easy to get choked up on the for all part because it keeps happening, Amen. right? Um, and so this is, this is the kind of thing that more we look to this, this really becomes the, the fuel for worshiping God, turning to him, Good. right? When we look to these things, this is what renews our mind, Amen. right? And not just alone, but the renewal of our mind also happens here when we gather, right? It's one of the main things that we do is to encourage one another by remembering together who we are, who God is, Amen. what he's done for each of us. Good. And that's what makes sense out of all of it, right? Because apart from the gospel, life is really pretty hopeless. Yeah. I mean, the best we can do is kind of string together these like moments of, hey, life's pretty good. Things are going well. But when things go bad, because things go bad, when we suffer, and suffering is probably the hallmark of humanity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do we do with that? But for the gospel, Amen. right? For the gospel of God who promises that he's working all this stuff together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Praise God that he, he has called us, right? It's not just because we're smart enough to figure it out, smart enough to, you know, believe in Jesus and, oh, okay, well, I, I'm saved because I figured it out. No, it's entirely by his grace Amen. that we're able to, to hear and understand the response is all from something that he did and planned to do back when he planned the whole story before the garden, yeah, good, right? Good so bringing it into uh, a separation between this idea of worship, which is an ongoing thing, right? And so for me, it's been helpful to think of what we do here as corporate worship, right? Not like corporation business sense, but corporate Latin for, for body, right? The corpus. So the body of Christ, worshiping together, right? And so we do it through order and we have a plan and so we will use, and it's not just the music. Everything that we do here together is for the worship of God. It's, taking, it's taking a week's worth of wacky fire hose spraying wherever and it's, and it's us coming together to with each other and under pastoral leadership to direct our minds, renew our minds, refocus our attention on what is true. After living in a world full of lies telling us, oh, you know, this is what you need. You need to get Prime Day, Amazon Prime Day. Woo! 
I mean, if you want, if you really want to be saved from the misery of life, make sure you buy as much as you can on Prime Day. <laughs> yeah, quite a week for uh, thinking about worship. Just kidding, I didn't buy that much stuff. Not that much. <laughs> uh, so, what we do here, the, the whole way that this is supposed to work, I mean, we're here to worship God, right? And that's, that's for him, it's for us. It's for, it's for our benefit, right? He doesn't get benefit from it. He gets the glory that is just appropriate. Yeah, and we get the benefit of being a part of that and being restored through the grace of Jesus to how it was supposed to be in the first place. Yeah. Um, there's this idea of, uh, oh, so here are some scripture passages for you jump there. Uh, do I have, oh, I, here, I added one that's not there. Hebrews 12, 28, 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. And then in the next chapter, uh, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, Therefore, Jesus, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Right? So here we kind of get back into some sacrificial language, and we get obviously specifically into, okay, these are things that we do together, the togetherness, right? One another. We, we praise God, the fruit of our lips, professing his name, Amen. right? Uh, Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So the more that we do this, the more that we... Uh, Worship God, directing our worship toward him together in our, our corporate gathering during our week when we spend time alone with him in his word and pursue him and, and study his word, renewing our minds. It's kind of uh, a lot of times in the Old Testament you see uh, incense used in worship. And if, you know, you ever, if you're around incense, usually when you go somewhere else, people know that you've been around it because there's this aroma, and they're like, oh, I know where you've been, right? That tends to happen with us. Uh, <laughs> when, when, when I was uh, a, a uh, young adult, started studying the Bible, like really, and I think, I don't know if it was, this was before I started doing that year plan, but I was just really just digging into Psalms a lot. And I hung out, went to lunch with, my buddies, um, Jim being one of them, wherever he is, bass player. Uh, he and I are friends since middle school, by the way. Um, been playing music together that long, too. But it was uh, him and a couple other friends of mine, and I remember uh, I, I prayed for our lunch. No big deal. But uh, my friend Jimbo was like, did you read a book on prayer or something? <laughs> and I was, like, I, I was just not even thinking about it. And I said, no, but... I had this realization, the only thing is just I'd been, 
I've been reading scripture more. I've been reading the Psalms. And so that stuff just has a way of coming out, right? So this idea of uh, when, when we worship, right, as they worshiped in the temple and you're around that aroma, people will know, right? And it's just going to come out. Um, so real quickly, I wanted to show my amazing art, artwork skills. Hey, there you go. Um, yes, there's a reason why I play music and don't do this. Uh, I have the heart of an artist, but not the hands. <clears throat> so I, I really like the way that John Piper kind of gives this an analogy for <clears throat> worship. Trust me, I tried to find an image that would look better than this. But hey, so he, 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 in his analogy, he says, so heat would be the vital affections of reverence and contrition, trust, gratitude, and joy. The things we think of as feelings, right? Right? It's like, oh, I'm so grateful. Oh, God, I trust you. I am so glad to be your kid, right? That's the heat that comes from this furnace of worship, right? Yeah. It's just kind of, that's like the pinnacle of it, the overflow, the, like, oh, when that feels, we just feel like we're in that moment, and yes, right? The furnace being the spirit of man, right? The renewed spirit of man, right? Because we're only able to worship God in spirit and truth when he has done that quickening work in our, in our souls. Uh, the fuel of worship is the truth of God. The only way we can get a true vision of God's greatness, right? We can look at the stars. We can look at a mountain vista. It's beautiful, and you can kind of get this sense of like majesty and greatness, right? But it, it's hollow because it's not anchored to the truth and the justice, right? So it's not enough for God just to be wonderful, beautiful, right? Because the world still sucks, right? It needs to be made right, right? Because it's so bad, like there is injustice and the kind that none of us can fix. It takes a holy God who is outside of this limited time to be able to work things together for good like he promises. Yeah, amen. Good. yeah hallelujah. hallelujah. We, I, I've, I really think that we, it's easy to get scared for me, okay? Maybe you resonate with this. The idea of God's judgment and justice sounds a little bit like, oh, I'm in trouble, right? Rather than like God's judgment and justice being a thing that causes this hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you, God, that you're coming to judge the earth, yeah. that you're coming to make all of this right. And thanks that I am spared because of what you have done, right? That I'm not included in what gets tossed in the dumpster, right? Again, all by his grace. We didn't do anything to deserve it. So the fire that creates the heat, right, is the quickening of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who intercedes on our behalf. He's in our midst and he inhabits our prayers, right? And, and our worship, this kind of worship that is God glorifying and uh, restoring to our souls. So um, how does that work out here? Because sometimes we just kind of show up and I'm myself too, right? And I'll just be like, man, I just don't feel like singing today. And how do I make sense of that? One thing that I always thought was odd is like, it doesn't matter like how bad your day is if somebody's got a birthday cake with candles, sure, I'll sing in. And, and like, it, it would be culturally awkward and weird if you were just sitting there while everyone else was singing, right? 
And I'm like, well, that's funny. Why is that? And, you know, maybe it's because singing happy birthday is really shallow, but worshiping Almighty God is the most profound thing, existentially so. Maybe, maybe that's what makes it uh, a little more difficult to engage right off the bat, yeah, right? You know, I'm just trying to find a little easy way out here so we don't feel totally ashamed of our lack of... <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then uh, on that note, th this is, I like how uh, John Piper gives an easy way out on this. Again, this is all from Desiring God. Uh, he talks about three stages of worship. And he talks about the affections and how, how we're feeling, right? The, the first one being this unencumbered joy, like we talked about, right? When the heat in the furnace is just, everything's on fire and it's, it, it just feels so apparent, yeah. right? Everything is right. That's an easy one. Two is really the most common one. It's really, our, I would say, a typical believer Sunday morning, right? When we gather longing and desire, right? So... Maybe I'm singing, maybe I'm not, but I'm here. I really want to commune with the brethren of Christ. I really, I, I want God. I want to redirect my worship rightly. Yeah, uh, but I'm not feeling the fullness, right? I'm feeling the longing and desire. And uh, Piper says, though this falls short of the, the ideal of vigorous, heartfelt adoration and hope, yet it is a great honor to God because there's the, when you have this recognition of, oh, there's a gap here, that is, that is a form of right worship to him, right? And then wait, stage three is what he calls the barrenness of soul, where you scarcely feel any longing. You just feel kind of like emotionally, spiritually dead. Maybe even like, do I believe this stuff? Like, what's happened? Like, I just feel like I'm on another planet here, spiritually. Wow. And that's still, God is granting us grace of, of sorrow in those moments when, wow. we, when we feel that, wow. when we, fe we recognize that something is wrong. That is also God's grace to us. Good. Yeah, wow. and we can lean into that and not, and not be ashamed that um, I'm not, you know, fully engaged in singing, right? But... You fully, fully feel that, that sorrow. Yeah. And that is, that is your genuine worship wow. in the gathering when that happens. And, and by yourself, right? In your prayer closet, in your alone time with the word. Uh, yes, yeah, still there's that grace of repentant sorrow for having so little love. But this is where all genuine worship starts and often returns for a season. Wow. So I... To my knowledge, none of us are immune from it, right? Best, best known theologians and pastors in history uh, have struggled with crazy depression, yeah. right? It's just, it's all part of that thing that makes us long for things to be made right. Amen. Good job. And that brings us back to, we do have this hope, Amen. right? We, the hope that we have is so real but so easy to forget. And so we need to continually renew our minds. We need to abide in Christ, staying in the word, praying in the spirit, and being encouraged by our brothers and sisters in our congregation, right? Not just on Sunday morning, but, but during the week. And uh, 
so that we can be continually helping each other be aware of, of how are we worshiping, right? How is, how is the, and then we get to experience this overflow of when we have a week of, our, a week of worshiping God instead of lesser things, then when we get to gather, then it turns into this, this overflow of goodness that you just can't even contain it. And the more we do that, and the more that aroma just carries with us, then, you know, if you imagine like little, little sticks of incense, everybody's got one, right, who's been abiding in Christ, and so like they have this aroma, right? But then they all come together, really strong aroma, right? That, that will absolutely proclaim the gospel to anyone who walks in the door, right? If that's an encouragement to anyone who has had a rough week, who has been... Uh, wasting their worship on lesser things, but believes in Christ, that, that brings us back. Amen. That restores our church, and that, that's for the good of everything. It's the reason that we're here, to proclaim the glories of God in all the earth so until good. he returns, right? Amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's actually a pretty good segue to communion. Yeah, that's the whole point of that. Um, last thing I wanted to end with was just, because this is... Uh, the Job verse. Um, Job's the guy that I wish I could be like, right? I don't want his life, but I want his reaction, right? At, at this, you know, this thing being like the worst circumstances imaginable, right? Um, at this, he got up and tore his robe, which of course, that's like this word showing of grief, right? Tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. His response to his horrible circumstances were not, oh man, woe is me. But recognizing, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll depart. None of this was mine in the first place. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Let's pray. God, thank you for being here this morning. You're always here, but I thank you, Holy Spirit, for ministering to me in this time with my church family, um, reassuring me that... uh, that you are working through me, even while you are working on me. Thank you that that's true for all of us. May we see that more and more as we gather in your name. May we believe it and live it out more and more as we lean into you and rejoice in the goodness and glory of the gospel of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Give Joe a hand. Well, thank you, Joe. That was really, really good. So, just to uh, quickly end off, we we know that it's going to be really hot outside because Texas is really not that hot at all. And so, I thought let me just explain a little bit about baptism before we break bread and have communion. So, we are going to celebrate baptism shortly. Uh, why do we get baptized? Because Jesus commanded us to. In Luke, cha- I mean Luke, in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, we see Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, being baptized. What we notice about that is there wasn't a special place, there wasn't a special time, there wasn't a special person. We tend to make a lot of 
big things about baptism and we tend to add a lot of religion and liturgy to it. I want to say to you this morning that there is no right person to baptize you. There is no right place to be baptized and there is no right time to be baptized apart from the present. And so if you've never been baptized but have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to be baptized today too. But what you'll notice today, some people will be baptizing their own children. That's okay. There is nowhere in scripture where it tells us that a super anointed holy man of God has to baptize you. You'll also see today that we're going to baptize you in a cattle trough. That doesn't make it less holy. There is nothing special about the water, just so you know, apart from it being dirty, because cattle have been drinking from it. But that's amazing. I'm just kidding. But there is nothing holy about the water. The water doesn't clean you. The water doesn't do anything to you. What you are doing in baptism is you are reminding yourself of what Jesus went through on the cross. As JR said, it's the living sacrifice that lives today. We remember what happened 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. We are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. And like Jesus was resurrected, when we come out of the water, we are reborn. That's what being born again means. And then it reminds us of something that will happen. One day, we will be resurrected to eternal glory with God our Father. We will be with Him in heaven. There is a living hope in baptism because it's not just about this earth. It's about the life to come. The last thing that baptism reminds us of is it's a public declaration of our faith. When we are being baptized with brothers and sisters in Christ, we are making and taking a stand for Jesus. We are saying in the presence of all of these witnesses, we are going to show our lives as dead to sin and alive in Christ. That we will live for one person alone and His name is Jesus Christ. Will we get it right every second of every day? Like J.R. said, no, there is grace. But from this moment onwards, we stand with Jesus. That's what baptism is. And that's what we're going to celebrate shortly. But before we do, we'd like to break bread. There's such a great way of worshipping our God. As Jehovah said, it's not just about the music. It's about everything we do. But one way that we see in Scripture is for us to break bread and have communion together. And so as the band sings, I'm going to invite you all to come up and partake of this. How it works is you take a little piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and go back to your chair. You can gather in groups to pray with each other, or you can pray by yourself. The band will be singing quietly behind us. If anyone is gluten-free, all the gluten-free communion is at the back Tegusi Galpa communion station. But let me read this. Mark 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took the bread, speaking of Jesus, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank out of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it in the new and the final kingdom of God. So as you break the bread, you remember the broken body of Christ. As you drink the blood, you remember the wine, the juice. You remember the blood that was shed for the sins of this world. And you have a heart filled with gratitude. That's what communion does. It reminds us of how much we have to be grateful for. Communion tables will be open short. If you're a believer and you've put your faith in Christ, you're welcome to come. But I want to invite you today, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, I want to encourage you to come up to the front. Mark and I and some of the deacons will be here. We want to pray for you. Help you receive Christ. It's not a big deal. You're going to pray a prayer. It is a big deal. It's not a religious deal. You're going to receive Him into your heart. He's going to forgive you of your sins in that moment. And then I want to encourage you, after we pray for you today, go and get baptized. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to be ready for it. Just do it. So can I ask you to stand? Let's pray. And then communion will be open. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the amazing sacrifice, Lord, that you gave for our behalf. 
And as we partake in communion together as a family of believers, we are directing our worship to you. We are taking that hose of worship and we're pointing it to you, Lord. We come to this communion table, to this moment of breaking bread with grateful hearts, Lord, pointing every single beat, bit of gratitude and worship we can to you today. Holy Spirit, be in our midst. Fill this room with your presence, Lord. And I pray that you'll continue to be with us as we go through the rest of this day. Amen. You can take your communion.